The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Lord God Almighty and Everlasting, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bow before Thee and acknowledge that Thou alone art God. There is none beside Thee, none like unto Thee. Thou alone art the Creator, the Sustainer, the Lawgiver, the Judge. And we thank Thee that Thou art also the Saviour and the Redeemer of any and all who trust in the merit of Thy Son. We gather before Thee as those who have been glad to hear thy word concerning him, his coming into the world, his life and death and resurrection. And already we have begun to rejoice in him as the Lord our righteousness, the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Nevertheless, we pray that thou wilt bring home to us the seriousness of these events that we are taught will occur in thy word and which in measure we anticipate in faith. And we ask, O oh Lord, that we might spend the rest of our time of sojourning here in fear, knowing that we too shall pass beyond this scene of time and appear in thy presence, give an account to thee of things done in the body, but be able to appeal to that everlasting love of thine and the perfect atoning work of Jesus Christ that gives us merit in thy sight and admission into thy blissful holy presence forever and ever. Spread abroad the gospel. Gather those who as yet have not come to thy Son for whom he died from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, and nation. And we pray, O Lord, that he might manifestly reign to the ends of the earth, and throughout all eternity. Hear us for his sake, pardon our sins, grant us thy gracious aid. May thy word, as brought home to us by thy spirit, be animated by thine own voice, authoritative and yet consoling and assuring. For Jesus' sake, amen. You be seated. We turn once more to Isaiah chapter 24. I want to read the opening verses of that chapter. Uh, the first six verses, Isaiah chapter 24. Let us hear the word of God. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers, the exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws. 
violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. So far, the reading of the word of God. May he bless it to us, to his glory and our good. Natural disasters are common in our world. They're graded in terms of severity, aren't they? We had a little earthquake two nights ago. We have a scale to measure the speed of wind. Another for the shock of a quake. Rising flood water can be measured. Fire temperature can be gauged. And in addition to that, of course, the effect on numbers of people, on a community and a locality, its infrastructure, its economy. Doubtless there are such events etched in your memory, depending on where you came from. San Francisco in 1906. Northridge, California, a few years ago. New Orleans last year. Well, here is a cataclysm that is world-engulfing and mankind disabling. There is no more present world. It's gone, like a hut in a hurricane. No more gaiety. No more busyness. Gloom. Silence like that grey world after a nuclear holocaust that has been depicted for us. This is the end. There's no possibility of human recovery and human rebuilding. Its magnitude is immeasurable. Its effects humanly irreparable. Why? Why such a reversal of creation, a return to chaos. This very prophet announces that the Lord formed the earth not to be a waste place, but to be inhabited. Why then does the one who made it devastate it? We began to look at the answer to this question last week. And so that the world doesn't stop like a watch whose battery has lost all power. Its raw energy doesn't melt down. Its natural resources do not reach the point of exhaustion. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste. He steps in. The one who made it is the one who devastated it. Within the last couple of days, seismic activity has occurred in North Korea. The question now is, was it nuclear or wasn't it? When the end comes, everyone will know that God has brought it about. There'll be no atheists on that day. There'll be no agnostics for you and me to debate with. God, the Lord, 
will be a present, pervasive, undeniable, unavoidable reality. It will be like the eye of a storm, still, quiet. And everyone will be aware that there is an eye upon them. And the tail of the storm is on its way. He will step in because the world has been up in arms against him. That's what we saw in verse 20 by way of summary. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard. It totters like a shack. Its rebellion is heavy upon it. And it will fall never to rise again. The creator has stepped in to judge and save. This is the outpouring of his just curse. Not an act of petulance or impetuousness but a manifestation of his strict unquestionable justice this morning I want us to consider that human rebellion in a little more detail we have descriptions of it here in verses 5 and 6 the earth is also polluted by its inhabitants For they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. Now in in this fifth verse, uh, what we have is uh, a preface. The earth is polluted by its inhabitants. And then we have three phrases which break down or describe that pollution. And the third of these indicates the root cause of the pollution. They have broken the everlasting covenant. Look at the preface for a moment. The earth is polluted. Well, that's a term that's often used, isn't it? So many speak about the pollution of the planet. Here's the environmentalist's buzzword and slogan. The depletion of the ozone layer. The pollution of water, soil and air as a result of chemical or nuclear waste. The way in which the food chain can be affected. Habitats destroyed. Plants and animals or rare species of plants and animals become extinct. But this verb pollute doesn't refer to things of those kinds. The word means unrighteousness and particularly shed blood pollutes and with it every kind of ungodliness. So the cause or the character rather of this pollution is not industrial, it's immoral. That's the root explanation. Rebellion against the moral God. That's how we are to think of pollution. 
and it is to be connected with the end that is to bring it to an end. For it cannot be tolerated by a moral God in the good world which he made. But what about these specifics? There are three clauses here, aren't there? They transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Now, remember that this chapter and those that follow it have a global reference. The preceding chapters, the surrounding nations of Judah, and then from chapter 28 on, back to Judah and the focus on God's covenant people there. But here in 24 through 27, it's the earth, it's the world, it's mankind. And therefore these expressions are not merely related to those to whom God had made himself known more than to others. They relate to all whom he created and sustains and who live upon the face of his earth and who are accountable to him. And we therefore shouldn't be surprised that the inclusion of the word covenant, should we, in the second, in the final part of the verse, they have broken the everlasting covenant. If this is a global uh, condition, then we have to go back behind Exodus 19 and following. We have to go back even behind Genesis 12 and following. We have to go back certainly to Genesis 9, the account of the flood. In that chapter, we have this phrase, the everlasting covenant occurring for the first time. But it's a reference to the rainbow. And the rainbow is a pledge that God will not judge the world again by a flood. And therefore, we have to go back even beyond the Noahic covenant in order to interpret this expression. And it's interesting that when many commentators come to this, they go back to Genesis 9. Well, some of them do. They go back to Genesis 9, but they won't go further back. It's almost as if there's a sort of an inbuilt hesitancy about connecting the word covenant with Adam. That spells trouble. Well, why the flood? Wasn't there law before the flood? Wasn't there a covenantal arrangement before the flood? Wasn't there unrighteousness and ungodliness before the flood? Of course there was. That's what caused the flood from a human perspective. The earth was corrupt in the sight of God. And the earth was filled with violence. We go back then to those arrangements which the creator and governor built into the very fabric of society and human life at the dawn of time in order to understand what is being referred to here because man is incurably religious and innately moral. He has a presentiment of the judgment of God 
But that awareness doesn't lead him to put a brick on his unrighteousness or ungodliness. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Here then is a reference I suggest to you to the sacredness of those creation ordinances as we call them. Laws which people cross over. Boundaries they transgress. Statutes which they alter and replace with private values or consensus politics. We can see it, can't we, in the way in which love has been used to justify the breaking of the law rather than seeing it as the only fulfillment of law. So what are these laws? What are these statutes? Well, it's the refusal, isn't it, to uphold the distinction between male and female that Dr. Peter Jones was referring to last week. Rebellion against monogamous and permanent marriage. It's there in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. being turned on its head. The refusal to respect human life. Abortion and euthanasia. And in particular, the refusal by people to be in the image of God after whom they've made, they've been made thinking that they can make themselves something better and greater. We are not stewards of the world for God. This is our planet. We'll do what we like on it. Refusing to be the friends of God. Finding a place of repose other than in God on the day of rest with him. That's what's happened. That's what sin has done. It's attempted to build a garden without God. Dismissing God, dehumanizing man, setting up a rebellious kingdom against him. Therefore, a curse will devour the earth. It invites the Lord to rise up. And he will, he must. There will be. The day is appointed. The time is fixed on which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. And of that he has given assurance to everyone by raising the judge, Jesus, from the dead. Judgment will fall on everyone who has ever lived No one will escape it. All will stand before the great white throne. Books will be opened that relate to all of us. The records will be read. We will need a place to hide, won't we? And there is only one. We don't need more. And it's a place, a person, on whom judgment fell, didn't it?
unmitigatedly, exhaustively. God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. In him is the place to hide. Because God's judgment is just. And having judged his son, he cannot punish those who hide in his son. That would be unjust. Payment God will not twice demand. First, at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. Hide in him by trusting in him what he has done, what he has borne. There'll be no escapees, but there'll be survivors. Plenty of them. We look at the verses that describe them, God willing, in a few weeks' time. In the midst of gloom, they'll rejoice as they've never done before. And in the midst of silence, they'll sing and shout. Let us pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, how marvelous is thy grace and mercy. We acknowledge that we cannot understand how thou shouldst ever love anyone apart from thy son and how there could be one scintilla of desire in thy heart to save anyone, seeing that all have so sinned and rebelled against thee. But thou hast chosen an innumerable host, international, in Christ, and he was willing to bear the wrath that was due to them, though he did not deserve it himself, in order that they might be saved. O oh God, receive our thanks and enable us to live as those who should hate sin more than anyone who as yet does not know thee. Part us with thy blessing, grant us thy peace, extend thy kingdom in the earth, glorify thy son's name for his sake. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.